The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is God's word. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you that we get to be alive and live out a purpose that you have created for us. Lord, I pray for each and every person here and each person watching online, that our hearts and our minds will be open to what you will be speaking to us, God. Bring comfort and peace to all of our hearts and all of our minds, Lord, and allow us to hear what you will be speaking through Randall today. We thank you for today, and we thank you for this time. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Byron. Good morning. All right, well, if you're new to Grace City this morning, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And uh, this is the last message in our series that we've been going through this past month called The Hope of Glory. And before we get into today's message, I just wanted to talk really quickly. Um, If you're coming in and kind of new and just kind of figuring out what Grace City is about, um, we are a church here uh, for our city. And what that means is we're not here for ourselves. We're here because we believe that God has called us to be a blessing to this city, to love this city. And um, really at the heart of it, it's because of the gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus came, met us right where we're at, loved us right where we're at, and transformed us because of his love. And so that's what we want to see happen in this city. And, you know, there are a lot of churches that start, so we started uh, a year ago. So we're a very young church. But one of the, the things that's on our heart is, as we started, is saying, um, how can we love our city well first? You know, there's a lot of things that we could do outside of San Diego, but we want to see a, a great city here in San Diego. We want to see this place transformed, culturally transformed every, in every way because of the gospel. But now we've gotten to this place where we're like, okay, we, we've like been in this community. We love this community. We've seen God do some great things. And now this is a chance for us to go outside of that. And uh, this past January, I was able to go to Ecuador with Compassion International. If you don't know Compassion, they're just an amazing organization. And one of the opportunities that's come up for Grace City is that we can be a part of planting a church there in a city that will really transform this whole city. And so what happens is, is when Compassion comes in, they adopt 200 kids immediately. Uh, they get food, they get uh, medical care, they get, uh, they, they get taught about Jesus. And uh, Compassion is just one of those great organizations. So we get the opportunity to partner with them and say, okay, how do we help? And they said, well, plant a church. So we've come together with a lot of different churches. A month ago, I ran a half marathon with some other church planners and saying, hey, we want to see a church planted and Loja, Ecuador. There are no churches in that area that are thriving, that are helping the people there. And so we're like, we want to go there. We want to help there. We want to be a part of that there. 
And what that looks like is we're going to partner and say, okay, God, would you provide $15,000 that we can give away to this church plant? And I'm telling you, two weeks ago, there was a friend of mine that says, I'm in for $2,500. He gave $2,500 right there and says, I'm in. I want to see this church planted. And so what we're saying is on December 11th, will we come together, give whatever we got and say, okay, Lord, here's what we got right? If you need to sell a few things, whatever it is, right? And we just say, let's give this away and say, all right, there's things that we're not using right now. We can put up on Craigslist and give 20 bucks. But something small, whatever it is, God will use that. And so on December 11th, we are coming together to do that and to say, how can we just bless uh, people in Ecuador? And uh, and and that's going to be by the grace of God, our first mission trip outside of San Diego. So you're like, when are we going to start? Mission trip, that's when. Okay, but we have a, an investment there. We say we're going to go there. We're going to be, be people there that we're going to have relationship with. And so there are going to be kids in that, in that area of Ecuador that you can sponsor. Okay, so that will be coming. But we're, we're just going to say, okay, how can we be a part of this? How can we invest holistically to see an area transform because that's what we're saying as we come here to San Diego we want to see it holistically transformed by the gospel and so just an awesome awesome opportunity and um and so that's what Grace City is about and um so we've got that and this is another thing you're like well I've got some extra toys sitting around I've got some extra clothes sitting around. There's a friend of mine who is ministering to 7,000 refugees right here in San Diego. And he's like, there are families that don't have toys for Christmas. They don't have uh, clothes, extra clothes, anything. And so you've got little jackets for kids, any of that stuff. Bring it here, December 11th. And we're just gonna bring all of this stuff and just say, Lord, please use this. Please use this. Let's bless this city. Uh, Let's bless my friend who is ministering, Pastor Silas. I'm telling you, man, this thing is, I mean, it just hit my heart when I'm standing there with this guy. I went and spoke uh, about a month ago to the refugees that he's ministering to, over 300 families that are being ministered to in our city that are refugees. And, uh, and after the service, this is his heart, man. He tried to come up to me and give me a few dollars to say thank you for speaking. They have nothing. And he's coming up trying to give me a, an, just a thank you of an offering for coming to speak to them for 15 minutes. That's their heart. And so if, if you have anything, like we're, we're, our kids are gonna be going through their toys and they're gonna be giving toys to, to kids here in San Diego. So we're gonna be taking up all that collection. December 11th is gonna be our big day, so mark that on your calendar. Um, so today, our message, the vision of glory. That's what we're talking about today, the vision of glory. And our text is John 12, 27 through 32. And I, I really can't think of any better passage to, to talk about when we're talking about a vision of glory. I don't know if you were, you're noticing the trend of what we were singing uh, the first three songs and what they were about, but it's about the cross. And the vision of glory truly is the cross. It is the cross because Jesus talks about that himself in this passage. And so my question to you is, is what's the vision of glory for you? What's the vision of glory that, that when you think of glory, what, what, what pops into your mind first? Because everyone has a vision of glory. And uh, let's be honest, many times the vision that we get, are not Jesus on the cross or anything about God really, but they're about us. 
right? Moments in our life just filled with glory. Um, if it's us accomplishing personal achievements, receiving promotions, gaining success, acquiring more, just killing it on relationship goals, like check this out, you know, look at me. See, when we, when we dig beneath the surface, if we're honest, many of our goals are not that glorious. They're really just self-centered, shallow, temporary. All we need to do is look at our social media feed, right? Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, to get a glimpse of what our glory is. My son Kai, he's not shy about proclaiming his own glory, right? He just got his own uh, you know, karate class. He's jumped in there and uh, he just got his yellow belt and he made sure to tell his siblings how great he is and how he's the best. Right, he just got his white belt. Now he gets, gets his yellow belt and I'm the best. He's not shy and saying, and, and it's funny because when things start going my son's way, here's, here's how he says, he says, now this is the lifetime. It's not this is the life, like this is the lifetime. <laughs> and for many of us, like things start going our way. We say, man, this is the lifetime. This is, this is it. My glory, everybody can see it. It's great. See, all of us have a vision. But what we need more than just a vision is an accurate vision. An accurate vision of what glory truly is. It, it's much like a TED talk I, I was recently watching by a lady named Caroline Casey. And it was called Looking Past Limits. And at the age of 17, her dream was that she was going to be a biker chick. She wanted to race cars. She wanted to be a cowgirl. And more importantly, she wanted to be Mowgli from the Jungle Book. But on her 17th birthday, as she went to an eye specialist just for an exam that she usually did along with her sister, it was a fake eye exam, the eye specialist asked her and said, hey, what are you doing for your birthday? And she told him, I'm going to drive. It's my dream to drive, and so I'm going to drive. And then this awkward moment happened where the eye specialist looked at her mom and said, you haven't told her? That day she found out that she had been legally blind since birth. And so she tried to live much of her life telling, or not telling anyone about her disability. Not telling anyone that she had a skewed perspective and vision until one day she confessed to HR that she was legally blind and here's what she says in her talk she says you know how exhausting it can be to try to be perfect when you're not or to be somebody that you aren't and so after admitting I couldn't see to HR they sent me to an eye specialist and I had no idea that this man was going to change my life but before I got to him, I was lost. I had no idea who I was anymore. And that eye specialist, he didn't bother testing my eyes, it was therapy. He asked me several questions of which many were why. Why? Today, spiritually, many of us are like her. We've been walking around in this world with a skewed perspective of, I can see, 
I know what I want to be. I know where I want to go. But it's a misguided vision. See, if anything is about our glory, it's misguided. And we need God to come in as an eye specialist to heal us of this misguided glory that we keep pursuing and going after. In the Hebrew scriptures, this happened for a man named Isaiah. And it's in Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. And and the title of this section is Isaiah's Vision of the Lord. And here's what it says in those four verses of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and two with two, He covered his face. With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What we find is that Isaiah was just going to church one day. He wasn't expecting to see the Lord. He was just going in his everyday life. And here's the thing about in verse one when it says the the year that King Uzziah died. Now, many scholars, if you study the life of Isaiah, would say that he was on this political track. He was probably a great orator and, and so people listened to him and people thought, man, he's very influential. And so he's like walking and thinking, okay, King Uzziah's dying, so I'm probably gonna get my promotion, my glory. It's gonna be going up. You know, my, my, everybody's gonna be listening to me. Things are gonna be great. I'm gonna use my gifts to really advance my life. But then he saw the Lord. <laughs> and you know what happens next is when he sees the Lord, everything changes. Because he sees that his glory means nothing. And that it's the glory of the Lord that means everything. And it's interesting because in John 12, 41, it's this short little verse, but John says that Isaiah saw his glory. And who he's talking about is Jesus. He saw Jesus' glory. He saw Jesus for who he truly is. The Lord seated on the throne and his foundations of his world were rocked. Everything shook up. Everything was rocked. And so it wasn't about his glory. It was about the glory of God. It radically changed his vision for life. And you remember what he says next? He says, here I am, Lord, send me. (laughs) You know what the Lord sent him into? Really, a life that was very difficult, was hard, where nobody wanted to listen to him. Where he could have gave the best speeches, but everybody says, I don't want to hear it. See, that's what, that's what he said, but it wasn't about his glory anymore. It was about the glory of God. He saw something. He saw reality. He saw a vision. And so, what about us? Is your vision impaired today? Do you need an eye specialist to come in and help? God says, come to me. 
And what if we started to ask this question, God, what is your vision? What is your vision? What, is, what, what do you want me to do? Because here I am, Lord, send me. What we find from the life of Isaiah and also in today's text is the transformation that happens when we see God's glory. The transformation of how God's vision for life starts with just seeing who he is. It's just seeing who he is. Right, like the, the veil, everything is just taken away and it's just seeing who he is. And so before we go, go in today's text, I, I don't want this to be another church service. I'm praying that we see his glory. And so let's just come to him now and just ask that he just remove the veil from our eyes, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, we need your help. God, we, we need, we, we are, I am so focused on things that don't matter. God, remove those barriers, those things that are in us right now so that we can see Jesus lifted up and that draws us in. It changes us. And our vision for life changes radically. Our, the foundations of what we've been building our life on just rattles and shakes and, and gets out of the way so that Jesus, we can build on you. So that's what we want today. Lord, help us. We need your help. Spirit, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our text this morning is John 12, 27 through 32, and the question is, how is our vision transformed by God's glory? How is our vision transformed by God, God's glory? And so here's it. Uh, it's a, by evaluating these three things. So if you're taking notes today, uh, the why, the who, and the how. It's by evaluating the why, the who, and the how. And so Number one, the why. And so we're going to look at verses 27 and 28, just the first part of it, and, and we're going to read through this, and we're really going to get the why. Why did Jesus come? Okay, and so verse 27. Uh, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so as we look at verse 27, Right? Why did Jesus say, my soul is troubled? He placed himself in a place of vulnerability. He says, I'm going to put myself in a position that's, that's really not going to be easy for me. Now, why would he do that? Why would, why would Jesus put himself in this position of vulnerability? Because his purpose of coming... Wasn't, wasn't just to enjoy people saying, oh, you're the king, you're great, all these things. It was to reveal who his father is and essentially who God truly is to us, to you and me. You see, why, why did he come? Why did he put himself in this place where he says, my soul is troubled? It's so that we would know God is love. So we would know that he has done everything he could to reach out to rebellious, sinful, messy people. Right, like, what is your visual of God? And, it's, and really, what is your visual of God the Father? Because he says, Father, save me from this hour. What is your visual of God the Father? Right, some of, everybody, all of us, like, have come in today with a visual of what we think God is like. I say, well, I, when I think of God, I think of him more as just kind of like really mean. 
he's up there, maybe more of like a dictator. If I, if I, I got to obey him and I got to do all these things, but if I don't, he's just going to bring the hammer down on me. For some of us, we're like, well, he's a creator God, right? But he's more, more like an absentee father, right? Who's out there somewhere. So we have like this deistic view of God. Like he's abstract. He's out there. He's not really in my life. Absentee dad. So we have all these like visuals. Maybe he's a prosecutor ready to expose my faults and just tear me down. And, and the reason Jesus came is he says... The purpose I has come, Father, glorify your name. Think about God's name. Think about how many times God's name is just thrown to the ground and trashed. Stepped upon, oh God, yeah, right. God loves me. Never seen it. And so we have all these visuals of, and ideas about who God is, but many of them are wrong and misguided. I think about my dad. My dad is, uh, he looks nothing like me. And he's six foot four. And he's just, he's uh, different than I am. So he's just really good at working on things with his hands. Just uh, like he can fix anything. I'm terrible at fixing stuff around the house. I can change light bulbs, you know. But my dad can like fix stuff. And so we're just completely different. Um, And, you know, people come up to my, and and he looks like super intimidating because he's just a big guy. And, you know, even even with my kids, like at first they're kind of like, Grandpa, whoa, you know, like all this stuff. And so, but here's the thing I know about my dad. He's the most gentle, generous person I've ever met. Like really, like gentle, heart. um, He would talk to anybody but he just looks so intimidating to people that don't know him. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, you have these ideas about God the Father, but I am coming down to help you to know who he really is, what he really looks like, how he really acts, because he's not this absentee dad or this mean dictator that you might have made him out to be. And so I am willing to put myself in a place of vulnerability because the Father himself is doing that as he's sending me. Do you know the hurt and the pain that the Father is feeling and seeing as he's looking at his son being tormented down here? Yet he's willing to put himself through that. See, just like I am almost in, in a way just like an ambassador for my dad, like, hey, look at my dad. He's a cool guy. You should go talk to him. He's really gentle. You know, he's, he's, he's not this intimidating figure the same way Jesus is coming and saying hey look at my father you want to know what my father's like look at me right he does that all throughout his life on earth one commentator uh, Randolph Tasker says this he he says he now prays that his father's name may be glorified i.e. that in and through his forthcoming suffering his father will be recognized as being what in truth he is the lover of sinners the lover of sinners. That the Father could love you and me. Jesus is putting himself in this position so that we would know him. That's the why. Why, um, or when you understand the why, it will start to transform your heart. 
about how you view God the Father and how you view Jesus and how you view who God really is. And so we need to understand that first. And so when you start to see that, it's, it's transformative. The second one is the who. The who. Okay, so the why, now the who. Um, we can find this in verses 28 through 30. It's the second part of 28. It says, Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, his name, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Whose voice was it that spoke? It was God's voice. God the Father speaks and says, yes, this, this is it. Like, this is the way it's going to happen. This is, this is who we are as God coming to show the world that we love them. And really the reason that we know that is because of verse 30. Jesus says, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. One God three persons sending his son and saying this voice has come for your sake not mine here's the deal we're, we're not God and that's why we desperately need his voice that's why we desperately need his voice right I mean are we lost without it are we trying to, to figure things out in a way that's just not helpful without it this voice comes and it speaks. And commentator D.A. Carson says on this verse, the very fact that a voice from heaven spoke should have been sufficient to alert those with any spiritual sensitivity that a turning point in redemptive history was impending. If we hear a voice from heaven, um, that's pretty important, right? But here's the thing about the people. The, the voice came to wake them up, but instead they started to argue about it. I think it's thunder. Maybe it was an angel speaking to him. They, they start to argue and they start to analyze the voice instead of getting the wake-up call. Does this sound familiar? I mean, too many of us in the church today, instead of getting the divine wake-up call that we need, argue about whether or not it happened. Or we just argue about what God said. Like, well, maybe he said this, maybe he said that. Okay. Maybe argue about the source. Well, was that really God? Here's the thing I know. If there are things that are swirling around in me that are, are really not things that I would naturally do, I'm probably like, yeah, that's, that's probably God. That's God. If God's calling you to love that person even though you don't want to, that's probably him telling you. Right? Well, I don't really know if that's God vo God's voice. Again, God is good. I know that I'm not, and I need him to come in to help me to be good and do good. Right? So that's the voice of God. It comes in, it shakes us up and rattles us a little bit and points us in the direction we should be going. The point of this voice was very clear. It was meant to say, look who is speaking. God is saying something. And it matters. 
It mattered then, and it matters now. We need to understand the who to understand the glory. And part of knowing the who is knowing who speaks. And God speaks then, and he still speaks today. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. Are there things that are pointing you to God? Are there things that are just continually coming and saying, hey, maybe you should do this, maybe you should do that? It might be him. Especially if it's pointing you in the right direction. But it's gonna go against our pride. It's gonna go against our personal glory because it's gonna be all about his. All about his glory, right? And so we gotta know the who. And then lastly, it's the how. The how. Uh, this is found in verses 31 through 32. Look at verse, uh, verses 31 through 32. This is how would God's glory best be revealed. It's right here. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So let's break this down for a minute. So, okay, how would God's glory best be revealed? First, it's this, the judgment of this world. What that means is, God, you're right and we're wrong. It's that simple. It's that simple. Like when we say like, yeah, I'm a sinner or I, I need the grace of God in my life or any of those things. This isn't to, to tell us something that's not true or accurate. It's just to reveal to us, yeah, this is the truth. This is who we are. But he doesn't leave us there, right? He's like, hey, this, this, is, this is a reality check. Now, the judgment of this world will be revealed. Because here's the deal. Like, there were people who probably thought they were pretty good people. And then they were they're, they're the ones who were coming and they were going to be shouting as Jesus is being put in the cross saying, crucify him. Do you know that it's, it's not just those people? It's all of our hearts. It's the same thing that rattles in our hearts at times. It says, God, get out of my life. I don't want you. I don't need you. Stop meddling in my business. Right, like that's, that's the same thing in our hearts that rattles around. It's the same thing that put Jesus on the cross. And so he says, now, the judgment, now, now is the judgment of this world. Like, it's not about good people and bad people. It's about dead people and alive people. And so the way you become alive is through coming into Christ. Saying, God, I'm wrong. You're right. I need you. I need you. That's the how. But then he says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So yes, there is evil. There is a devil. There is spiritual world. And he says, those things, like that ruler is going to be cast out. He's a pretend prince. Right? He's acting as if he's in charge, and he's not. And some of us just give way too much power to the devil in our lives and all this stuff. Well, the devil did this, and the devil did that. He's not, he's not in charge. And so Jesus says, I'm here to cast him out. Right? And that, that's the truth. So it's the judgment of this world. The ruler's going to be cast out, and here's how it's going to happen. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. 
He's come to destroy evil, and he's going to do it through the cross. It's when he's lifted up that his glory, his radiant glory is going to shine through and show us that in the weakness, the place where we thought, okay, there's no way that God could win if he loses, looks like he's losing, in that way, in the weakest way possible, I will show the world that I am more, just stronger, I'm stronger than any thing the enemy throws at us and even the sin, the sin of the world will be defeated on the cross. See, that's why R.A. Torrey, a graduate of Yale University and president of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles once said, preach any Christ but a Christ crucified and you will not draw men for long. It's not Jesus as an ethical teacher. It's not Jesus as a social reformer. It's Jesus, son of God, on the cross for our sins that draws people to himself. See, I, I, don't, I don't have to convince people to believe in Jesus. I just have to say, when you see him lifted up, that's really the only thing that can draw you. See, it, it, it draws us. It, it, it's not like forced. You gotta believe this. It's all you can help to do. Is <laughs> so when you see the cross, I love him. That's the how. The how is as you are drawn to him, as you love him, as you see him lifted up, you're like that's, that's my God. And so how does God's glory practically change us? Let's do some takeaways real quick. Let's take a minute and start with these questions, okay? First one is this. Do you know the why? Do you know the why? Why did Jesus come? What does that mean for you? See, Jesus coming is not a self-help project. It's a rescue mission, right? And so when like you're desperate and you're like, I I've got no other choice, he's all I've got. The visual that, that we see, and, and, and even in this verse, the way that Jesus is talking about it, there should be a visual for people that are listening to Numbers 21.9. Back then, Moses... Uh, holds up this rod with a snake on it and anybody that was bitten by the snake would either die if they didn't see this rod or they would live if they saw it lifted up. And so what this was pointing people to is as you see Jesus lifted up, the poison, right, the poison that's pulsing through our veins because of our sin, the only cure is when you look up at the cross. The only cure is when you look at Jesus. So that's, that's what this is, is he's pointing back to this uh, text that we find back in the, the Hebrew uh, scriptures. And so my question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? That when you look at him, you're healed. He's your healing. That you can come to him and know that he's done it all for you. That's a personal thing. That's between you and him. And I'm just saying, if you've never made that public, there's always the open invitation. You know the most beautiful way to do that is through baptism. It's when you say, okay, the, the way that Romans, or 
Yeah, chapter six says it, is that when you go down under the water, it's like your death. And you remember the death of Jesus, and then when you come back up, that's a new life. It's like you're being crucified to yourself, saying, I don't want this life anymore. It's not about me. And when you're coming up, it says you are a new creation in Christ. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Beautiful picture of what Jesus has done. And so my question, do you know the why? Have you experienced it? Do you believe it? The second takeaway is this. Do you hear his voice? The voice should have shook these people. If it came so loudly that it had thundered, it should have shook these people. And they they shouldn't have just shook physically. They should have been shook down to their core. What was that? They should have fallen to their knees. This 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 is God speaking. That was the point of it. And so today, are we too busy analyzing God's voice to hear it? Because here's the thing. Maybe some of us right now, we're in Bible studies. We say, oh, I'm not getting anything out of it. Have you asked God and said, God, can I just hear from you? Because one verse could change your life. Just one. But if you just sit on it and just say, God, I I need to hear you, because here's the thing. I have to do that every week, every day. Like even coming through these passages, I'm like, I can't just preach. I need to hear. I need to hear his voice. I need to hear what he's saying. Let let this quote just just rock you, okay? Eugene Peterson, oh God, when my faith gets overladen with dust, blow it clean with the wind of your spirit. When my habits of obedience get stiff and rusty, anoint them with the oil of your spirit. Restore the enthusiasm of my first love for you. That's what this is. This is not just some archaic book from thousands of years ago that we just look through and say, wow, great, I've got one on my shelf. But it's coming and saying, God, I need to hear your voice. So how do you hear his voice today? Come to his word. Ask him, say, Lord, teach me. I I don't know how to read this. I, I I don't know. Here's the first step, knowing that it's all about him. It's not about us. When you come to him and you say, okay, God, this is all about you, you're gonna start to hear his voice. It's going to start to speak into your life. Another way is through prayer. That God gives us this beautiful invitation and says, hey, come to me. I want to hear what's going on in your life. And what happens is it stops becoming a thing on the checklist and it starts to become a refuge. Like, don't, you, don't you need a place to find protection where it's like, okay, uh, I feel like if I tell this person, they're going to tell that person and then it's just going to become gossip. right? Like, or if I'm feeling this way, then it, it might come across the wrong way if I tell somebody else. Do you know that God doesn't gossip? God doesn't spread rumors. God doesn't do all those things that we do as people. But we can come to him in a safe place, in a refuge, and say, God, you hear me. You know what's going on in my heart. And I'm not like spewing it on other people, right? I'm taking it to you, and it's a safe place. You can come to other believers. You can ask. Just say, hey, man, can I get some encouragement? What's God speaking to you? 
I loved it this week, I even talking with my wife and just sitting at the table and just saying, her just saying, man, I want to hear a fresh word from God. I just want to hear a fresh word from God. I don't want to live off of old stuff that I, I know he said before. Like, I want to live on something that he's just saying right now. What's he speaking in my life right now? Question is, are you listening? And lastly, and this is most important, do you see the cost? Do you see the cost? The message of the gospel is personal. It's not general. It's about, it's not about other people's sin. It's about my sin. It's not just about how other people need it. It's about how you and I need it. We don't get past the gospel. We don't get past the message of Jesus. It's not like the ABCs. It's the A to Z. It's everything. Seeing the cost. Do you see it? Does Jesus dying on the cross draw you in? Jesus says this in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Do you see your friend laying down his life for you? When you see the cost, you will say like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. It's his cost at our expense. And what it will do is it will change your heart and your mind so that you say, I'm gonna lay all things at his feet. I know that there's gonna be a cost for me. Elizabeth Elliot once said, to be a follower of the crucified means, sooner or later, a personal encounter with the cross. And the cross always entails loss. This is a woman who lost her husband on the mission field. But yet her family went back to minister to those people in Ecuador. It's powerful. I'm gonna end with this. There was a, Facebook story that was going around and I saw there's a friend who knew this person in particular. So I wanted to read this story because I clicked on it and I just kind of knew that this is the thing that I needed to share. A couple from Mississippi were married for 60 years until death did they part. The wife died, the husband mourned his beloved life, life partner when he went through his wife's wallet, he found an incredible surprise from her. Jimmy and Billy Breland got married way back in 1954 and spent six happy decades together. They had been through everything together, children, grandchildren, sadly death. Billy passed away in 2015 at the age of 83. Jimmy was heartbroken, of course. Two days after his wife died, he began rummaging through her things and he found a little note folded up and tucked in her checkbook. He didn't think much of the note uh, when he found it. Jimmy knew Billy, a former school teacher, was always writing little notes to herself and others as reminders. But he couldn't believe what this note said and this is, this is true. Um, it was for him. Please don't cry because I died said Billy in the note. Smile because I lived. Know that I'm in a happy place. Know that we will meet again. I will see you there. Jimmy, a former minister, he was a minister to the girl that I know, needed that beautiful message. Even after she was gone, Billy was there to comfort and shower her husband with love. Why do I share that story? Because the cross is the constant reminder to you as a believer 
that God loves you. You're going to struggle. You're going to have times where your vision is just not clear. And you don't have a vision of glory. And you come back to the cross and you say, that's the place. That's where I know that God loves me. That's where I know the heart of the Father really is. I'm going through a really difficult time right now. I don't know if I can make it. That's how you know. That's his note to you. That's the reminder that though you struggle now, he says to you, we will meet again. We will live together. It will be happily ever after because of Jesus. That's the vision of glory that takes the worries of this world and it places them at the cross and says, Lord, you love me. And here's what it looks like. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the word of the cross is folly, folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God coming into our life. It is a vision of the cross, a vision of his glory and who he is and it shines brightest through his sacrifice. See him on the cross for you. He did it for you. He did it for me. He didn't do it for just some abstract thing. He did it for you. Put your name in there. He did it for me. It'll change you. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to see the glory that is on that cross and that it was for us. It was personal. It's not some abstract thing, but it is a personal sacrifice. And God, that, when we see that, it draws us in. It draws us in. And so help us today, Lord, to be drawn in by your love, your grace, your beauty, and who you are, and to see your glory just as Isaiah saw you seated on the, on the throne. Today for us, it's you nailed for us on a cross. So we lift you up now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.